brand new series like Stephen just mentioned, all about um, love and, and marriage and family and work and all that stuff. So I thought it would be a good idea for me just to start out by showing you guys some of uh, our wedding pictures. My wife and I, uh, Vera says all the time that we're not like family, we are family. And one of the things that you do when, when family comes around is you show them those awkward family photos, right? You whip out the albums and stuff. So I thought I would share with you guys, Melissa and I, we've been married now for uh, 12 years. This will be our 13th year this November that we're married by God's grace. And so I wanted to show you guys some some pictures. Yeah, believe it or not, I mean, that doesn't look like me now. I'm trying to get back to that, to that, to my fighting weight. You know, I'm trying to get there. But uh, but yeah, I, and it's been a, a, a wonderful year. I, I thank God for my wife every day. We've got three wonderful children. But yeah, this was back, uh, you know, I don't know why, 2005, there was digital photos, but for some reason they shot it on film. So this is film, you know, so uh, yeah, so it's a, it, we did it right around here. We got married, uh, we had the reception on Graham and Ainsley, it's not even there anymore, the spot that we celebrated our reception and stuff, but it was awesome. Uh, but yeah, you know, I have a couple other photos too that I wanted to show you guys because uh, what I didn't know was how abusive Melissa would be. And uh, <laughs> so this is a picture, she... Uh, one of those days that she just, I don't know what happened, she, uh, she really let me have it, and all I could do is, was stay in the corner and cry, and uh, uh, yeah, and, and we, we were just, we were just fighting so much, you know, that uh, we just couldn't stand each other, actually we were just waiting for the bus and didn't know that we were right next to each other, uh, yeah, so, uh, no, actually that, that was a photo project that, that we did and stuff, so uh, a little while ago. Uh, but yeah, I just wanted to show you guys some of our, our wedding pictures because we're talking about marriage. We're talking about family. And when, when you read the creation account, right, in the book of Genesis, the very first book of your Bible, when you open it up, when you read the creation account, you, you of course you read all about God's, you know, how God spoke things into existence, how he spoke, you know, and, and uh, time, space, matter, all came into existence at his very word. That's when you read about, you know, the oceans and the skies and, and land and, and the animals, how they all came to existence when he spoke. But do you know what the cream of the crop was? Do you know what was the icing on the cake of all of his creation? Do you guys know what it was? It was mankind. It was mankind. The only creation that he made that was made in his image and likeness. All right? The antelope can't say that. The cat, the dog can't say that. All right? The frog can't say that. Right? But we can say that we are made in the image and likeness of God. And within the perfection of God's creation, we see the beauty of the institution of the very first family. Adam and Eve, beautifully created by God and for each other. And if you guys remember, when God looked at all his creation, when he looked at everything he said, he said, it is what? Good. He said, it is good. But there was only one thing that he said that wasn't good. And what was that? It was that man was alone. And so he, he creates for him Eve. He creates a helpmate. And her name is Eve. And from the very beginning, God institutes the very first marriage and the very first family. And it's one man and one woman given to each other. God's original design for marriage is one man and one woman becoming one flesh. And we see that from the very beginning of God's word. But ever since then, in our perverse and sin-stricken world, we've tried to pervert, we've tried to manipulate, we've tried to destroy God's original design for marriage. 
and the family. And I think this is why, guys, it's so important that we look into God's word to learn what is God's desire for the family. We cannot look at culture to help us dictate that. We have to look into God's word. If you're one of those people that likes to take extra notes, here's something that you can write. There's two reasons that uh, we can't look into culture. Number one is because culture didn't institute the family. Culture did not create the family. God did. Now, who would know how best to use something, its creator or the created? Who would better know how to use it? Who would better know its design, the creator or the created? We cannot look at culture to dictate that because God is the creator. God is the originator. God is the institutor of marriage and family. So he best knows the original design. The second reason we can't look to culture is because culture constantly shifts all the time its opinion on what is culturally acceptable and not. In other words, what is culturally acceptable is constantly shifting. It's always changing. What is culturally acceptable today was not accepted 50 years ago or 100 years ago. And what's unacceptable today, in a hundred years from now, it might be culturally acceptable. Think about this for a second. As a society, we're so loose sexually that who's to say that things like incest or polygamy could be culturally acceptable one day? It's not too far-fetched. It's not too far-fetched. And sometime in the future, we've perverted, we've changed, we've distorted God's original design for the marriage. And there has to be a standard. And that standard was given to us by God. I think about how my kids, you know, I think about my kids all the time and how confusing their world must be. Uh, when we first got married, I showed you guys our, our wedding pictures a year and a half later. Junior came into the picture after we got married. But you know, I didn't want to bring kids into this world because I just knew how, how sinful and how sin-stricken and how, you know, how difficult this world is. And I said, man, I don't want to bring kids into this world. You know, growing up, there were certain things that weren't as widely accepted, maybe for you as, as well. There's certain things that were just not as widely accepted as it is today. But today, what was unspeakable and detestable only a few decades ago is now celebrated. And it's even pushed upon and ingrained into our kids at, at their schools, through the media, through the, through the TV shows, through the, through the movies and the books that they read. It's ingrained into them. And it hurts me to know how confusing it must be to them. But imagine how hurtful it must be to God, the one that designed the family, the one that originated, the one that instituted the family, the one who created marriage, to see his creation perverting what he intended to be a beautiful gift to us. Can you imagine how it hurts the heart of God? Today we're kicking off this brand new series. It's called This Is Us. And it's going to be a series all about love, marriage, parenting, and work. And we're going to look into God's word and we're going to see what God says what does he say about these subjects in particular? Now, as we go through this message in these next couple of weeks, you're going to hear some words. And for some of you, it may be very difficult to stomach. You might say, Danny, geez, Danny is so old school by the way he's teaching this. You know, or you might think, man, this is a super conservative way of thinking. And we've evolved as people. We know better now than we did back then. And we most certainly know more now than they did in the Bible times. And when you hear these hard words... I want, you, I want you to think to yourself, and I want you to ask yourself these two questions. When you hear these hard words, uh, I want you to think about this. Whose authority do you submit to? Whose authority do you submit to? Do you submit to God's authority, or do you submit to culture's authority? Have you surrendered to the lordship of Jesus, 
or to this world. You may be here and you're thinking to yourself, Danny, that's easy. Culture dictates my beliefs. Culture dictates my actions. I don't want to be the only weirdo who says otherwise. And if that's you, it's okay. I'm so glad you're here. You're certainly entitled to your opinion, and I'm not going to take that away from you. You can, you can desire, you can, you can believe that, you can live that if you want. But I pray that as we look into God's word, that his word might open your eyes. And he might enlighten you to see that his way is not only the way it was intended to be, but it's so much better. It's so much better. The other question you have to ask yourself is this. Who is influencing your thinking? Who is influencing your thinking? Is culture dictating what you think about love and what you think about dating and what you think about marriage and sex? Or are you allowing God's word? Are you allowing God's spirit to influence your thoughts about these things? It's a decision that you have to make. Every single one here, you have to make that decision. Is who is influencing your, who do you allow to influence your thinking? Who are you allowing to influence? You have to draw a conclusion. What's it going to be? As we dive into today's passage, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you have your phones, you can scroll there or you can take out your notes and the verses are there for you to follow. And they'll be up on the screen for you guys. You guys know how we do here. But we're going to go to a section in the letter where, church, uh, where Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus, right? And he's writing to them about marriage. If you guys remember, last year we began our series through the book of Ephesians. And uh, all of this is a letter that Paul wrote to a church in Ephesus. And what's, what's beautiful about this letter is the first three chapters that we studied is just rich in gospel theology and gospel truths. That's what we read in chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians, that we were dead in our sin, in our trespasses. But that by God's grace, we were made alive in Christ. And so we read about all these beautiful gospel truths in 1 through 3. But then in 4 through 6, we, there's a change in his tone. The second half of Ephesians, of the letter, he goes on to tell us the implications of receiving that gospel message. In other words, here's how to live out this gospel theology. Here's how you live this out in your everyday life. If we've experienced God's saving work through Jesus, then this is how, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we're able to live out our faith. All right, so we're in that section of the book. It's a very practical part of the book. And in this particular part of the letter, Paul is going to tell us how two people in marriage best function according to God's design. Okay, and let me say that this is unfortunately not the way many marriages function, okay? unfortunately so. And I think this is why there are so many broken marriages. I think this is why there are so many broken homes and broken families. Lastly, let me say that what Paul is going to teach us for a marriage is founded upon the gospel. Okay? What he's going to teach us about marriage today in this letter is for a family founded upon the gospel. And if your family or if your marriage is not founded upon the rock of the gospel, then none of this is going to make sense. Okay? It's not going to make sense. You see, it is only in the gospel that we best see love, that we best see sacrifice and submission practiced and lived out in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? So Jesus sacrificially loves us, even to the point of death. He dies for our sin, but it doesn't end there. Then we have to sacrificially lay down our own pride and accept God's free gift of grace and die to self. And submit to Christ. Submission. Love. 
sacrifice. The same things we're going to talk about today, we see it best in the gospel. So if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, I don't expect you to follow these things. In fact, it doesn't make sense. If you're not a follower of Jesus, it doesn't make sense to live this out. I think they're great principles for you to follow. And so if you want to follow these principles, I think they're really going to help you out immensely. But only in the context of the gospel and in God's original design does it make any sense. Amen? So, let's, without further ado, let's jump in. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to look at verse 22. Number one in your notes, if you're taking notes today, is this. Uh, by the way, everybody received notes when you came in. There are some fill-in-the-blanks there. You can go ahead and fill that in. Wives should submit to their husbands. Wives should submit to their husbands. Here's what it says, verses 22 to 24. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Would you guys do me a favor? Take your pens and in your notes, if you if you like to circle on the verses and such, would you circle the word submit right there in verse 22 and then underline the phrase as to the Lord. Circle the word submit and underline as to the Lord. You see, guys, there is a clear leadership structure that is given to us in the scriptures. And it is that wives are to lovingly submit to their husbands and that husbands are to lovingly lead their families. It seems to me that culture is totally against this line of reasoning. And I'm even afraid to say that it may have even leaked into our own logic to the detriment of many, many families. Here's why I think this. You see, the world would promote and have you think that individuality is the best way to head into a marriage. This means that a man and a woman they come together, they get married, but instead of two becoming one flesh, as the Bible says, they each maintain their own individuality. Right? They're simply two people sharing a bed, you do what you want to do, I do what I want to do, we'll get together at dinner time, but then we get back to being our own selves. And this is why we have things like prenuptial agreements, right? Because what's mine is mine, what's yours is yours, and in case this marriage doesn't work out, Peace, you can take what you brought into this, you know, and we can go our separate ways. But Paul is helping us see something about submission. And listen, this isn't something that is chauvinistic. This is not something that is macho man. This is not something that is a caveman way of thinking. Look at what he says. He says, listen, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. You see, submission isn't abusive. Submission isn't primitive. Submission isn't an unloving thing. It's actually what we do in relation to the Lord. There is a clear order in Scripture, not just in marriage and family, but we see it in Christ's relation to the church. Now listen, guys. Does the church submit to Christ or does Christ submit to the church? What is it? Does the church submit to Christ or does Christ submit to the church? The church submits to Christ. We submit to Jesus. Likewise, the order set before us in marriage is that the husband is the head of the family and the wife should submit to his leadership. Now, I can just read some of your minds and I hear the objections coming in. First of all, I want to remind you lovingly and gently what we spoke about in the beginning. Okay, 
which is how much of what you're thinking is dictated by culture and who is your ultimate authority. I want to remind you those questions. But with that being said, let me try to answer some of the objections that you might have today. The first thing you might say that you might pop into your mind, well, Danny, what if my husband is abusive? What if my husband is abusive? You might read this passage and you might think to myself, my husband is abusive. He hurts me. He smacks me around. But I have to be submissive, right? I have to absorb the hurt and I have to stick around. Is that what God's word is teaching me? Right? I have to take the hurt. I have to answer with that. And the answer is no. No. You don't stick around with an abusive husband who constantly attacks you and attacks your children. This verse is not talking about submitting to an abusive husband. That's not what it's saying. Remember, I mentioned that this is talking about a family that is founded upon what? Upon the gospel. Right? So it's a family founded upon the gospel in genuine pursuit of Jesus. You know, this week I recently received a message. I got a message um, uh, from a young lady who told me that she was being attacked by her husband, that he was physically abusing her. You know what I didn't tell her? Well, you have to submit to your husband. I didn't tell her that. I told her you need to call the police and you need to file a report. And she did. And now there's a restraining order in place. And now there's an open active case to make sure that he never harms her again. And men, here's what I need you to understand, man. I need every man to pay attention. That if you want your wife to submit to you and follow your leadership, you have to be a man worth submitting to. Because it's very easy to read this verse and say, yeah, woman, you have to submit to me. No, 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 no. You have to be a leader worth submitting to. You cannot be an egotistical, prideful, chauvinistic jerk and expect her to follow you. Make sure you are a man worth following and a man worth submitting to. What about this objection? My husband is a loser. What if your husband is lazy? What if he is unmotivated? What if he's a mama's boy who never stops playing video games and walks around all day with his fly open? My answer to you is, why did you marry him? Why did you marry that dude? Why would you settle for anything less than a loving, humble leader and provider? Oh, well, at least it's cute. (laughs) Well, good luck with cute because it's not cute when you have to keep reminding him to brush his teeth and put on clean underwears and get a job. There's nothing cute about that. But seriously, let me give you a word to uh, to my single ladies. I'm not going to sing Beyonce. I'm very tempted to. So all my single ladies that are here, if you're single and ready to mingle, if you're or single again, don't settle for any less than someone you are willing to submit and follow. Anything less than that, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Now, let me take the pressures off the ladies. And let's put it on the men. Because, men, guess what? If God has called us to lead and to be the heads of our home, that means that God has placed an immense amount of responsibility and leadership upon our shoulders. Ultimately, men for far too long have sat on the sidelines and allowed others to pick up the slack. Where are the warrior men of God that are willing to sacrifice, that are willing to serve, that are willing to love their families? I pray that it would be us right here in Swerve Church, the men right here 
that it would be us. Our community, guys, this neighborhood that I love so much is so in, in so much deficit of good men, of good husbands, of good fathers that aren't drunkards and aren't abusive and aren't lazy jerks. And I pray that by God's grace that our community will look at Swerve Church and see the men in this church that they would see us in submission to God's word, that they would see us on our knees, that they would see us so transformed by Jesus that they would say, whoa, what's up with those men in that church? And we say, oh, nothing. We're just seeking Jesus. And we're just humbly being transformed by God day by day by God's grace. It's not a big deal. You can have it too. I pray that by God's grace we would see that. We would see that here. Here's the next thing, guys. Here's the next thing Paul tells us. Number two. Husbands should sacrificially love their wives. Husbands should sacrificially love their wives. Let's read verses 25 and 26. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. Now, fellas, I'm talking to you. What should we do? We should love our wives. How much should we love her? How should be the extent of our love? Paul says, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. What did Jesus do? What did Jesus do for his bride? What did he do? Jesus died for his bride, the church. The extent of our love should be that much. Now, if you're in here and you're single, you're a single dude, and you're, you might be rolling your eyes and you're thinking to yourself, yeah, right. If it comes between me or her, she got to go. See ya. We don't want to be you. Peace out. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. And if that's you, if that's you, then don't get married. Don't get married. Obviously, you're not ready, okay? Go back to playing Fortnite or watching your full collection of season episodes of Pokemon. Go back to doing that. But you're not ready to get married, okay? Once again, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're you're not living your life according to God's word, then what does it matter? Do what you want, okay? Do what you want. Keep your individuality. And if one day it comes between your wife or your collection of Yu-Gi-Oh trading cards, then just say, sorry, baby, you got to go. Now, I know I'm more exaggerating, but only about this much. Only a little. Man, Paul says that we should sacrificially love our wives. But guess what? If you're sacrificially loving your wives as Christ did his bride, the church, guess what? She's going to want to follow your leadership. She's going to want to submit to you and follow your leadership because like Christ, we are willing to lay down our lives for her. Here's the last thing that Paul will help us see when it comes to marriage. Here's the last thing that he's going to show us. And really, it's infused throughout this whole passage. You're going to hear it uh, today. You're going to hear it again next week because it's infused through the whole text. But he's showing us the comparison between marriage and between Jesus and the church. He's showing us the comparison between the two. Number three, if you're taking notes, marriage is a beautiful picture of the gospel. Marriage is a beautiful picture 
of the gospel. Hey guys, I would love for you to read this one with me. Can you read this verse with me? This is verse 27. You ready? Go. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. You see, Paul goes on to show us the comparison between the loving submission of wives to their husbands and the husband's loving sacrifice and the leadership to Jesus' loving leadership and sacrifice. Jesus' journey to the cross so that he could present the church, that is the believers, those of us that put our faith in Jesus, holy and blameless. That's why he journeyed to the cross. Here's what's true for every single person here, young and old, male or female, married or single. Apart from Christ, we stand before God the opposite of holy and blameless because of our sin. Before a holy and righteous God, we stand spotted and wrinkled. But God, in his infinite love for us, made a way for us in Jesus. Jesus willingly, sacrificially, and lovingly left his throne in heaven so that he might die in the place of his bride, the church. Do you see the comparison? Do you see it? Jesus laid down his life for you and for me so that we wouldn't have to. Jesus took our place and absorbed God's wrath on our behalf. Marriage, when done according to God's word, and when done to, according to God's original design, it gives us a beautiful picture of the gospel in action. So if you're here today, and you've yet to put your faith and trust in Jesus, I want to give you the opportunity to respond to Jesus' generous, sacrificial and loving gesture. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to that. Jesus died for your sins. He paid the punishment for your sins. And all you have to do to receive God's free gift of grace is put your faith and trust in Him. That, rem- that means to remove the faith and the trust that you put in yourself and in your own ability to save yourself, take it off of yourself, and put it on Jesus. Because you are sinful and you fall incredibly short. Instead, put your trust in Jesus. Because His sacrifice is sufficient on your behalf. And so if you haven't made that decision, I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. If everybody would take out their connection cards, fill out that information on the front, please, as much as you feel comfortable sharing. If you're a regular attender, uh, uh, just put your name and email. That's enough. If you're a first-time guest, fill out as much information as you feel comfortable. But I want to draw your attention to the back of that connection card. There's some next steps for all of us to take here. Whether you are a quote-unquote seasoned Christian uh, or a follower of Jesus, there's some next steps for you to take. could be join us at Life Group. could be join us next Sunday for This Is Us. It could be to get baptized if you've never been baptized. But if you're here today, I want, to, I want to focus in on one thing. And if you haven't made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, then I want to point your attention to where it says, Make Jesus Christ Lord and Savior. Now listen, this is a decision between you and God. I'm not going to force you. I'm not going to tell you to raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you to the front. This is a decision between you and God. And if you feel the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart, letting you know, and you know, As you look at this picture of the gospel and marriage and it makes sense to you, it clicks in your head. I need Jesus that way because Jesus sacrificially and lovingly died in my place. 
and you need to make that decision today, I encourage you to. Check that off. And here's what's going to happen. We're going to follow up with you. We're going to call you. We're going to email you. We want to put a Bible in your hand. We want to encourage you in your walk. We want to be your support system. We want to be your church family. So if you're here today, you haven't made that decision, I pray by God's grace that you may. The decision is yours. We will not coerce you. We will not force you to make that decision. I will encourage you. Because God loves you so much that he gave his one and only son to die in your place for the forgiveness of your sin. Would you guys join me in prayer? Every head bow, every eye closed. If you're here today and you haven't made that decision, I'll give you an opportunity to do that today. Lord, help us to see in light of the voice of culture which blares ever so loudly its ideology, its corrupt views, and its sinful worldviews. Help us to see your way. Lord, help us to humbly submit our own thoughts and ideas to your word. Would you expose by the light of your word the areas of our lives which are in disagreement with your original design and purposes? We thank you for Jesus' valiant sacrificial and loving sacrifice on the cross for our sin. Thank you, Jesus, for the beautiful picture of the gospel that we see in marriage. Lord, I pray for the wives in this church that they might lovingly submit to the leadership of their husband. And Lord, I pray that us as husbands, that we may be loving and gentle and worthy and respectful leaders of our homes. Lord, I pray that our community I pray, God, that Bushwick might see a beautiful picture of the gospel on display and that they would turn and surrender to Jesus. We pray this in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus. Amen.